Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the VR1 NFT Podcast. I'm your host, VR1, and as you know, this is where we live. Adjust my sound here, make sure we're good. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Happy to have you guys back in here with me. For today, we're going to have a special guest on behalf of Bloomberg Market News. His name is Jeremy Grantham. And um, we'll see what we get into after that. But... um, I'm, I'm quickly going to jump back into the mentorship series so that we can continue our course on digital marketing. So let me give you guys a quick recap. So I've been creating content like crazy. A lot of music albums, a lot of uh, podcasts, um, pretty much just, you know, grinding, working it out. Um getting more into this what is obviously being promoted as the metaverse but for me it's so much more than that and um i'm trying to think definitely want to learn more about discord and medium um i want to implement a few marketing campaigns using tiktok um I'm hearing nothing but great things. I want to give a special shout out to Gary V. Um, he put out a a video today on his YouTube about you know using marketing and TikTok basically for marketing for 2022 and beyond. In three years, is going to be gone. So we got like a year and a half to create our own brands and create brand awareness and basically building a foundation where the fan base gets to know who you are so what what they're predicting is going to be big in the future is going to be brands and um for myself as i'm going through this learning process you know for example i do music right when you see a music video it's like perfectly formatted right when you hear a recording it's perfect in the studio is is dolled up you know it's diamond up it sounds perfect well in day-to-day business and business and in life things are not perfect so everything's not always going to be formatted if i upload content my hair may not be combed at every single interval you know and um where some people have to get over their voice or the way they look on video and stuff like that you know, I've been an artist all my life, so that's that's nothing to me. But um, I do think to myself, like, well, now that I'm going to design this content, I have to start with a foundation, right, and then build on it, just like the podcast. The podcast took on a whole life of its own. But um, I embraced it. You know, I didn't try to contain it. Um, also, I want to use the metric of 500. And that's going to be today's title for today's episode. 
The metric of 500 basically explained by Gary Vee is that when you're creating content, you remain neutral for the first 500 to 1500 um, episodes of content. Because within that first 500, you're going to see what works better than what's not working. So without further ado, as I continue um, gathering my thoughts and getting ready for this uh, digital marketing course, let's, um, let's jump right to it, okay? So bear with me so I can get the sound right, and let's get right into it. Maybe one quick second, start this over. Make sure I, thing, so our volume is right. When you think about Bitcoin, I don't think it's a currency, I think it's a commodity. Today, we're in an everything ball. I'm Eric Schatzker, and welcome to an encore edition of Bloomberg's Front Row. Jeremy Grantham has been investing for a half century and calling bubbles for almost as long. He's a living legend in financial markets. A year ago, Jeremy predicted the pandemic rally would end with a historic crash. Here's what he told me. When you have reached this level of obvious super enthusiasm, the bubble has always, without exception, broken in the next few months, not a few years. Hmm. Things didn't play out that way. In fact, the S&P 500 gained almost 27%. So I had to check in with Jeremy again. Had he changed his mind? Not one bit. Jeremy says U.S. stocks are in a super bubble, only the fourth of the past century. The fourth of the past super century. Super bubbles can really wipe you out, like 1929. And uh, that's where we are now. Wow. As you it's might gonna imagine, be a good one. I had a few urgent questions for the co-founder of Boston's GMO. What should investors do now? How worried is he about inflation? Can Fed policy cushion the blow? Is he still a crypto skeptic? Here's my conversation. Get your snacks, guys. I'm gonna be studying, so I got all my munchies. Ah, here we go with a free commercial for Verizon Wireless. Shout out to Verizon Wireless. Thank you for interrupting my podcast. At every opportunity as I'm talking about my chips. <laughs> All right, here we go. A year ago. Let's bring that back. Is he still a crypto skeptic? Here's my conversation with Jeremy Grantham. Jeremy, a year ago, you predicted an epic collapse in stock prices. And you told me it would rival the 1929 crash in the dot-com bust of 2000-2001. Were you wrong? No, I don't think so. Uh, I noticed reviewing it last night that there was one little element of contradiction. At one stage I said, you can't call these events to within a few months. And at another point I said, history says that when you reach this level of craziness, the market tends to break within a few months rather than a few years. And I think, with hindsight, the market started to get distinctly weaker about 10 months after we talked. So that's a few months wow. plus a little bit. All the same, 2021 
was a great year for stocks. If I'm not mistaken, the seventh best in a half century. And, and this has been exactly how the great bubbles have Seven been. best in the, a half century. Chips, the S&P 500 I agree. kept strong right up to the last second. Yep. And wave after wave of the stocks that had made the real running mm -hmm. uh, peel off and drop. That's right. In 1929, the, the flakes were down for the year before the market broke. They were down 30%. The year before, they'd been up 85 They had crushed the market. The really classic example of this is the Russell 2000, which is stock number 1001 to 3000, multi-billion dollar companies. They're a serious enterprise. Hmm. In the last year, they are down. They have not made any money at all. The S&P's made 23%. The Russell 2000 is meant to go up about 1.2 times the market. In a bull market like you're saying there was, it should have been up about 30%. It, hmm. it wasn't even hmm. up recently. Old school business. This so is, he this predicted is a huge it. divergence of a kind that should have been up 30%. Other than the super bubbles of 1929 and 2000. 2000, you may remember, the growth stocks peeled off and were down 50%. The S&P was flat, which meant the remaining 70% had risen 20%. This is an enormous divergence, and it happens on the upside for the blue chips. So this is absolute, it's almost eerily classic. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's a very rare pattern. And uh, we have been checking off this list all year. When I sat down a year ago, we had seen the accelerating phase that you need in a bubble. That had taken place last year with the uh, NASDAQ up over 100 from the low, but also up 58% from December of 2019. So wow. even granted that COVID decline, it was a hell of a year. It was a year no, of acceleration. Right. And, and the NASDAQ has started to weaken relative to the blue chips. The Russell has started to weaken much, much more so even than the NASDAQ. At the risk of putting words in your mouth, you are as certain as you were then, if not more. Come on, Richard, of course he is. I would say is. clearly more. More. I, uh, good, good response. I did freely admit, not in our conversation, but elsewhere, that I wasn't quite as certain about this bubble a year ago as I had been about the uh, tech bubble of 2000, or as I had been in Japan or as I had been in the housing bubble of 2007. Um, I used to think then in terms of near certainties. This time I felt highly likely, but perhaps not nearly certain. Today, I feel it, it is just about nearly certain. The hallmark of a bubble is what you have termed crazy behavior. What would you point to today right now as further evidence of crazy behavior? I think the crazy behavior, the peak of crazy behavior is behind it. Hmm. I really do. I think uh, we're now in the buy the dip mode, which the super bubbles specialize in. Uh -huh. You All don't the have two years of buying frenzy, dying overnight. That's what it is so going to be a big buy in two, three years. Some magnificent rallies. 
And the buy the dip is the watchword of practically every brokerage house out there. And it always is. You never, almost never, have a major brokerage house say, the game's over, guys, done. It doesn't happen. The commercial imperative is overwhelming to stay bullish. It's how you make money. If you're right, stay bullish to make money. And stocks are in a multi sigma deviation from the statistical trend. Multi sigma deviation the S &P from the statistical trend. At almost 4,800 points. Where does it bottom? The trend line being slightly generous is 2,500. And most of the great bubbles, the super bubbles, go below trend and stay there for quite a while. Uh, in Bubble the go below era, the trend. That tendency stopped. In 2000, yes, the NASDAQ came down 82%, which was fairly brutal. Amazon came down 92 But the Federal Reserve raced to the rescue so loudly and strongly that they stopped the decline in the S&P. That trend line, it only defined 50%. 50% is a hell of a big decline, uh, but it was only enough to get it back then to trend. Hmm. This time trend is at most 2,500. And I would expect, even if the Federal Reserve tries to do the same, it will be hard to prevent the market. My business went down 50% to, to the trend line. That we're talking about a decline, of, certainly from the peak of almost 50%. Almost 50%. And of course it declined very quickly 50% in 1929. It declined 50% in three years in 2000 and the housing market which was another great american super bubble went all the way back to trend uh, in three years jeremy it's one thing to predict a collapse in stock prices it's another altogether to tell investors they should sell should they as i said a year ago i think i think they'll do pretty well by selling I'm sympathetic to uh, how difficult it, it is to get out entirely out of equities. And I would point out, as I did last year, that there are less overpriced parts of the equity market around the world. In fact, everywhere is less overpriced than the U.S. The U.S. is the peak of this bubble as it was in 2000. And what it meant then is what it will mean today, and that is the U.S. will decline a whole lot more than the rest. Uh, it's also true that the value end of the spectrum as opposed to the growth end is about as cheap as it gets. So if you can combine those by buying value stocks outside the U.S., I would say particularly emerging markets, but there's quite a few countries, Japan, the U.K., where the markets are. If they're overpriced, they're only moderately overpriced. The U.S. is not moderately overpriced. It is shockingly. Shockingly you and I have overpriced. talked about the perils of shorting single-name stocks. Oh, it's yeah. dangerous business. But yeah. given where things are and your level of certainty, would you short an index? Would you short tech stocks? Would you short the S&P 500? Hmm. Personally, as opposed to GMO, um, in the foundation we have for the protection of the environment, we are indeed a short a decent amount of Russell 2000. So we haven't been hurt in the last year, which is amazing. We're also short uh, about half as much again as uh, in the NASDAQ. 
which did hurt us, but not sensational. Uh, and the point there is a lot of our money is in venture capital. That's very growthy, but we need some hedging. And uh, well, I was just about to say, for all my hedge investors. To a large amount of growth stocks, I suspect we would skip the hedging. Exactly, the skip the, the skip speculation. Case, never short an individual skip the speculation. Short in and the in indices I would short, if I was up for that, would be the Russell 2000 because he already they told have you a like it is. Of flaky companies that aren't making any money, and 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 the Nasdaq which also has a high, high percentage of companies not making any earnings at all. What makes the NASDAQ more complicated is that it has these remarkable bang stocks in it. And uh, that, that makes life complicated. What if I'm a long-term investor, say, running a pension fund or managing my own 401k, which I should add, I don't. But what if I'm one of those people, and I look at history, and history tells me that over time, independent or including crashes. If you Notice how he's promoting that narrative, like, oh, I don't promote my own portfolio. Well, you should, buddy. A handsome return, and if I just stay in the market, I'll get that return, whether it's seven... Well, back... And, uh... That, that makes life complicated. What if I'm a long-term investor, say, running a pension fund, or managing my own 401k, which I should add, I don't. But what if I'm one of those people, and I look at history, and history tells me that over time, independent or including crashes, stocks deliver a handsome return, and if I just stay in the market, I'll get that return, whether it's seven percent or eight percent or nine percent or ten percent over time. Ten percent. You know, if you uh, could set your dial for fifty years and throw the key away, that might make some sense. <laughs> but let me remind you that in 1929, you didn't get back in real terms until about 1954. That's you a that? long wait. Twenty-some in years. You didn't get back for thirteen years. You hear that? Fuck your 30-year bonds. You need a 50-year bond right now. Shit is fucked and, up. And uh, in Japan, which is really the granddaddy of both bubbles, land, and uh, stocks, they are not back to their 1989 peak today. That is a very, very long wait. Japan is not so up to its peak since 1989. And motherfuckers want to talk to me about business. I'm sorry, I think it's not on my level. Stand. A lot of you Different will become league. more conservative uh, deep into this kind of correction. And what about the real sour grapes critics, the ones who say you're just a broken clock that's only right twice a day? Broken clock, a look at that. Humble uh, measure of success. Humble measure of success. And that is, at some future day, if you got out when I said get out, you will be glad. Doesn't mean you won't suffer in the meantime, but at some future date, you will be glad. That worked in Japan. We were very early. But if you'd gotten out when we got out, and you'd suffered as the Japanese market went up, you would still have made and saved 
a lot of money on the round trip. The same in 2000. We were basically recommending that you ease up on, on U.S. equities by mid-98. And that was a hell of a rally, and that was brutally painful. But it was still a level where you made tons of money. By 2002, the market was much lower than that. Why doesn't getting out mean, for GMO included, mean liquidating, going to cash? Stupid fucking response. I think commercially it's too extreme, mm -hmm. to be brutally honest. And secondly, if you can execute the strategy that I described, there is a really respectable chance that you will make money. Respectable chance that you will bubble. make money. Use my strategy. Back in January of 2021 has further inflated into a super bubble. And I'm curious to know, I think others would be too, what's the difference between a standard bubble and a super bubble? What is a super a bubble? A standard bubble we defined over 20 years, perhaps 25 years ago, as a two-sigma statistical event. It's just a measure of two how sigma. much of an outlier you are. So you have a historical Deviation series. from trend. Yeah, you have, uh, you have two a two-sigma deviation from trend. You can calculate a trend. Uh, statistics 101 is not difficult. And you can work out how far away from trend you are. Dumbass. Two sigma is the kind of deviation that should occur every 44 years. And because we're a little wilder and less efficient than we should be, it 44 years divided by six. It's not bad. That's the trend right now. We as a species. As a, as a species. Um, every 50 years, years, 44. It, it was a little closer than I expected. 10%. Uh, back come then. on. But uh, every 35 years feels about right. One a career, twice a lifetime. That feels like a pretty decent One a career, twice a lifetime. And a three sigma should occur every 100 years. Now we... A three sigma should occur like every say, 100 years. We do crazy years. pretty well as a species. So they occur much more. We're excellent at crazy. More often than they should. Two or three times uh, they, every 50 they, years. They're out of kilter much more than, than two sigma. Out of two kill, sigma, you can have some fairly out standard of two sigma. bubbles. They, they, they give you a certain amount of pain, 30, 40, 50% pain. Super bubbles can really wipe you out, like 1929. Hmm. And uh, That's where we are. That's where We're we in are the now. new 1929. Get used to it. Into three sigma territory. And this is the change Super into digital. Territory. And the other great risk is last year we also entered bubbles in real estate. This is a, a very dangerous year that we just had. If very the dangerous year. As you predicted, Bill. What happens? What happens to the economy? Hmm. What does history tell us? Some bubbles are very specialized to U.S. growth stocks, like 2000. And they, and they hurt. There is a wealth effect. People lose money. They, they pull back on their spending. But they don't hurt anywhere near as much as when you combine that with a housing bubble. Huh. So in 2008, where we had the only housing bubble in American history, that burst and the stock market came down 50%. Huh. Sympathy. Then you're talking serious damage. Correlated. Both the, the same. Serious damage. The income economy because can handle two blows. We have, as a multiple of family two jobs income, it can handle. U.S. housing suddenly is more overpriced than it was ever in mm -hmm. the housing bubble of 2006 to 2008. It's, and, and they got there this last year since we last spoke. The biggest increase, 
that the U.S. housing market index has ever had has taken it to a new high. And they are, in the U.S., still much cheaper than Canada, Australia, New Zealand, London, Paris, etc. So that is a global event that could cause enormous pain. So we have a housing problem. We have a stock market bubble like 2000. We have overpriced commodities. Yep. Oil is 88. Crazy. And, and uh, we have, of course, the lowest real rates in the history of that. If bonds are overpriced and stocks are overpriced, yep. does that make the traditional 60-40 balanced portfolio useless? Yes, Absolutely it does. <laughs> I said it. We said it at the same time. Comfort in the notion of an implicit put. Anytime the market stumbled, the Fed would effectively bail it out mm -hmm. with a rate cut or more recently by injecting liquidity. Here we go. Injecting liquidity. Injecting more fucking debt. <clears throat> We're going to bring that segment completely back real quick. It's enormous pain. So we have a housing problem. We have a stock market bubble like 2000. We have overpriced commodities. Oil is 88. And, and uh, we have, of course, the lowest real rates in the history of man. If bonds are overpriced and stocks are overpriced, does that make the traditional 60-40 balanced portfolio useless? Absolutely useless. Absolutely. For years, investors have taken comfort in the notion of an implicit put. Anytime the market stumbled, the Fed would effectively bail it out with a rate cut or, more recently, by injecting liquidity. The Greenspan put became the Bernanke put, which became the Yellen put, and finally, the Powell put. Does inflation and the handcuffs that it puts on monetary policy eliminate that implied option? It complicates it. It complicates yes, it. it. Inflation it does not remove it. It's limited, but because it complicates inflation. things. Yeah, and, and, and because of low rates. And now you don't have the tools that Greenspan had. Bernanke was more limited. He needed a lot of help from, from uh, Treasury, from government spending. And what about now? Now you have a much higher ratio of debt to GDP. You have much more debt on the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, and you have More much debt. lower rates. Lower they rate. will try. They will have some effect. There's some element of the put left. There's more stimulus coming. No, no way around it. are you about inflation? I haven't written about inflation for 20 years. <laughs> Not worried at all. I never featured inflation. Fiction. Uh, it, I didn't think it was on the radar screen. It is now on the radar screen once again. Now it is. It's not that inflation Every 20 will go years. roaring back. 100, 60, 40, 50, 1982. 20. It's that it will always be part of the discussion from now on, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Instead of forgetting about it, it will be spiking the, and irritating. They're going to propagate that propaganda. Spiking again. It will be part of the scenery in the way it used to be in the second half of the 20th century. There's a lot about this economy. I think that will be dragged back into the late mm -hmm. 20th century. We've had a very, very abnormal honeymoon Goldilocks period for 20 years, 
That's what it is. The Goldilocks period has Let me ended. Put it this way. We're in the early stages of running out of raw materials. Of course, we live on a finite planet. There's only a certain amount of cheap oil, cheap nickel, cheap copper, and we're beginning uh, to hit some of those boundaries. Oil, nickel, and nickel, copper. We're going to have bottlenecks here, there, and everywhere. The food price index of the UN is about as high as it gets. But growing food is not getting easier. Climate change is coming with heavy floods. Fucking up the food. Serious droughts and higher temperatures. None of these make farming easy. So we're going to live in a world of bottlenecks and shortages and price spikes. Yep. And we have to get used to it and learn to manage our way around. Exactly. The market's so going to be jolting. The prices that people perceive to be high right now may yet go quite a bit higher. Of course. I think so. Of course, and retard. it may well turn out that uh, owning commodities or, or selected commodities will be uh, something of an escape valve. Commodities have a long history of doing quite well when inflation picks up, for obvious reasons. And inflation is quite likely to pick up. Looking out into the future, it is pretty clear that we are running out of labor. Fertility rates have dropped like a stone. Uh, China is reeling from the shock of finding that it has 10.8 million fertility uh, is down last year. people are stressing uh, only now. the other the other year seven that's or eight babies years that's ago, fucked up and uh, this means absolute certainty that the cohorts of 20 year olds coming into the workforce will will be smaller going forward everywhere everywhere in the developed world we're below replacement uh, in fertility you know wow. the universe of professional investors well. Is there anyone out there whom you expect to navigate these waters well? Me? I think there's quite a few hedge funds that have a style of making a, a hundred small bets, of trading gas prices against diesel prices, and uh, a Brent uh, oil against uh, Texas oil. Hmm. They do a thousand arcane little relationships they're all hundred small deals the market if they do it well, independent they'll make a don't have more than a hundred business ventures for 2022 and there will be some enormous dynamic moves in uh, resources the same as the, the super bubble is confident uh, time contain inflation with a series of incremental rate hikes what do you think of it I think the Fed absolutely does not get <laughs> the pain that's involved with the bubble. Exactly, break. they don't understand. They don't. That. They still don't get it. That's the shit that gets me mad. Of the last. Fuck the, the Federal Reserve. Greenspan encouraged the tech bubble. He bragged about the productivity gains from the internet that would last forever. Actually, productivity has declined uh, slowly but surely since then. Um, when it broke, it caused a lot of pain. Bernanke learned nothing. Hmm. He encouraged the housing bubble. He denied Bernanke it. Another even though it was a three sigma, one in a hundred year event. Three sigma, one in a hundred, never occurred. And what have we learned? We just went what straight we back learn? into the Nothing. Game, right back into the same shit. Pushing the rates down. Overstimulating down and not the and right way. They have gone for 50 years. So they started at 16% on the long bond, and now the real return you would get is minus two. You've been a long-time critic of Alan Greenspan. That's true. You were a critic of Ben Bernanke, and I suppose by extension, Janet Yellen, too. Do you have any confidence in the current chairman, Jay Powell? 
No. no. He hasn't expressed any res reservations about Greenspan, Bernanke, Yellen, Powell policy of pushing rates down. They act as if a low rate is a panacea and comes with no downside. <laughs> Got clearly nonsense. Got it's created, I think, the biggest evil in, in our society, and that is inequality. Yeah, the low, if you that low rate. If you drive up the price of assets systematically, and it's bound to happen if you drive the rates down to negative territory, who do you make money for? You make money for the people with assets. Who owns the assets? The top 1% has 35% of all the assets. The top 10% have practically all the assets. What are the, what's the asset ownership of the bottom half? A rounding error, a practically none. So you mark <laughs> not even assets, one, and that that's your contribution contribution to society. That's your contribution. What you're doing wow. is pushing down on labor, pushing down on the bottom half, with no offset. With no fucking their assets offset from increasing. And you're making the top one percent ineffably rich, and the data bears that out right down to the last two years. Look at that. The data the tells top. you. 0.1% has doubled its wealth during COVID. Down to the last two years, and they've the doubled their wealth. I can assure you, has not doubled its wealth. That's the dominance fucked of a handful up. of firms has increased steadily in most subsets. And so profit Let's talk about that 1%. And uh, the power of corporations has gone up. And they've been able to use more of their power uh, in influencing government. And they have. There is a lot of regulatory capture where people from business uh, tend to run the agencies that regulate the industries um, so it's been a wonderful time to make money at the corporate system and the share of gdp that goes to corporate profits has steadily risen and the share going to labor has steadily fallen this makes it a dreadful cousin with with the asset class inflation that we've had they both have two things in common they, they make the rich better off, and they make the working class worse off. See that? That's and the correlation. That, that, I think is That's the two-headed monster the right there. The, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Rising inequality. We will be in real trouble. We are the least equal society. Yep, we have proof now. In the developed world. Measurably. We have the least fluid economic mobility, for heavens. Wow. You know... The when least. I arrived in America, in the we're 60s, ranking fucked up right now. How rigid the UK the people was. buying designer the shit. The UK is Recharge. now less rigid than the US. The number of people moving from the bottom quarter to the top quarter in a lifetime hmm. is half of what it is, say, in the Swedens of the world, in the US. Sweden. We are the least mobile. I mean, this is so un-American. It is so far from what people believe to be the case. But hmm. check it. We're the least mobile, we're the least equal society. The least mobile, it, the least it's equal. It's a poisonous influence. It's a poisonous we influence. we have facilitated it. We have moved the, the taxes on capital. Capital mm -hmm. gains tax, dividend tax, interest tax. We've moved them down. And by definition, the amount that has to come from income has gone up. Here's hmm. what some of those rich people are doing. <laughs> institutions, family offices, and most recently retail investors have been plowing money into private equity, private credit, growth equity, and more and more venture capital. 
and they believe they're going to get superior returns with lower volatility. Is there safety in private markets? No. Another dumbass question. Very limited, in my opinion. Clear line between venture capital. <laughs> He's about to spank his ass. <laughs> get him, Jeremy. Mr. Grantham, get him. And most recently, retail investors have been plowing money into private equity, private credit, growth equity, and more and more venture capital. And they believe they're going to get superior returns with lower volatility. Is there safety in private markets? I like to draw a very clear line between venture capital and uh, <laughs> You hear that? Very clear private line. Private equity is just another form of money management. Mm -hmm. um, you, you are shuffling the existing pieces of paper around. If you make money, someone else loses. Hmm. And, and to do it well is exciting and, and useful for your client. <laughs> From a society's point of view, you don't add a lot of value. Exactly. Venture capital is completely different. Venture capital facilitates and expands new ideas. You hear that? Change. That's the difference. The Clarity is very clear. Yo, when it comes to money, these people are serious. Inequality Just like me. Future to deal with progress. You need as many innovations as you can get. And venture capital does that. And America does venture capital very well. For many, many years, the venture capital industry was dominated by a handful of powerful Silicon Valley-based firms, the Kleiner Perkinses, the Sequoias, the Benchmarks, the Andreessen Horowitzes. Increasingly, though, it's a playground for hedge funds, Tiger Global being the most prominent example. Is that a, a good thing, a healthy development? It, it's like many things. It's good and it's bad. Nope. The bottom line in climate change in particular is that the sums involved are colossal, trillions of dollars. Colossal. And yes, I think uh, there's something to be said for Simon Pure, specialist in venture capital, who's doing terrific research, etc. But in the end, we need money. So we welcome, I welcome the hedge funds, I welcome the new people who make investments very quickly on very light uh, research. And, and of course, there's a bubble element to all that. And uh, some of it will be priced uh, much more highly uh, in the last few months than it will be sometime in the next couple of years as the bubble uh, fully breaks. But in the end, look back at the Amazons, look back at the uh, internet bubble. There was a lot of money wasted. But my God, it did push, it did push along the technologies of the internet, and it was the U.S. who emerged with the Amazons and the, etc., the AOLs of that of that era. Jeremy, I'm curious to know if, um, in the 12 months since we last spoke, you've changed your view on cryptocurrencies. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time in the last year on cryptocurrencies. Hmm. They may not be good for buying. Uh, groceries, they may not be a store of value. They may be highly correlated with the speculative stocks. They may have come down 40-50% like the specs, but they do something way over my head to understand. Do you buy <laughs> the argument that there is an important difference between Bitcoin on the one hand 
and at least a couple of other cryptocurrencies on the other. And I'll name them. Uh, Ethereum, that's a blockchain. Ether is the coin. And Solana. And the difference, and I'll do my best to articulate it, is that those other blockchains are actually building blocks for new businesses that will prove to be revolutionary because they will eliminate things or help to eliminate things that I suspect you don't like. Transactional friction yeah, yeah. in the banking system uh, and rent taking that remains yeah. embedded in legacy financial institutions. So the, the question is, is there a technology, blockchain, that will turn out to be very useful, whether done by corporations and governments and everybody else? I am sure the answer is yes. There's a useful technology, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, does this justify trillions of dollars of perceived wealth? No, it doesn't. It might amount to trillions of dollars of wealth, eventually. If they can find a usefulness for it when it's integrated into the economy, it will perhaps facilitate facilitates productivity, like many ideas do. Very few ideas of that kind floated around and were capitalized at trillions of dollars, even though they had an enormous impact on the economy. Blockchain should be like one of those. So maybe not quite as much of a crypto skeptic. You could say the internet, by the way. The internet has created enormous value, but it didn't float around internet units which were capitalized and became worth trillions of dollars and and, and i admire them for not doing that they, they deliberately went out of their way uh, to make uh, the internet and, and a facilitator and not an a way of uh, amassing money uh, in itself you like green as a theme are there any other themes or trends that you're willing to bet on I, I tell you what I, I think about the future, and that is the green will turn out to be just a subset of a, of a bigger, more comprehensive issue, and that is, loosely speaking, living within our means. Hmm. We have simply shot way beyond the long-term capacity of the planet to deal with this, and one of the problems is waste, and this is not just climate change and greenhouse gases, but of course, plastics. It's also poisons. We generate so many toxic chemicals that there is strong indication that the planet is really not uh, conducive to life. We are killing off our insect life. We're killing off all manner of animal life. The world can do just fine uh, without Homo sapiens, but it can't, it can't deal without insects because of a cascade effect. All the little critters that eat insects, all the birds that eat insects, all the amphibians, etc. And they begin to go out of business. And then the things that need them and the plants that needed them uh, to, uh, uh, to be fertilized, uh, one thing after another goes out of business. And so Domino nature effect. is beginning to fail. Collateral damage. And in the end, if we don't fix that, uh, we This is all the work. economy. Don't get it twisted. We're we talking money right now. Human fertility is going to hell. Human fertility is going down. We have That's one the proof. third of the sperm count that we had at the end of World War II. Uh, this one is not impressive. Third. Mostly we were over-engineered, so we get away with that. 
But in the last 20 years, we've gone from young couples needing help around the era to maybe 15% of every young couple in mm. the U.S. now needs help. Wow. And that's a more or less a global problem. So green investing isn't just a way to make money. It's an existential necessity. Healthcare. It's an existential necessity. Healthy and, lifestyle. And it's part of a bigger problem, living beyond our means. We use up our resources. We put too much pressure on the natural environment. We poison the natural environment. And uh, in that sense, it's a lot bigger issue than climate change um, writ small. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank Great you. Pleasure. Yo, this has been my best podcast. And because I enjoyed the lecture, you know, being on the same spectrum. Mind you, I'm just getting started with my... <laughs> <laughs> my bag of chips. I was thinking about time. Well, I'm not going to spoil a good thing. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the VR1 NFT podcast. As you know, I am your host, VR1. And tune right back in because we're going to jump directly back into our marketing course. So thank you for your time and I hope that you found great value in today's podcast the metrics of 500 what 500 pieces of content to 1500 pieces of content will you create for every business venture and every product and service that you are pursuing in the pursuit of happiness god bless